Hello, welcome to Raw, the 90s Rave podcast. Uh, this is part two of the DJ rap interview. I'm sitting here alongside the rave royalty. Uh, part one was fascinating. I've got no doubt that this is going to be equally uh, interesting and robust. I've enjoyed that first part. Um, so, uh, I want to talk a little bit about your production now because we've talked about your DJ and we've talked about uh, you know your early years in the rave. A few people have asked this question, actually, and it's, it's a question I ask all um, all DJs from the 90s rave scene because there was a split in the music and it went from and it, and it did go down drum, drum and bass and jungle and, and happy hardcore you were all ha- hardcore DJs initially uh, what was it that made you decide I'm going to go down that the jungle route well initially I was a house DJ because uh, hardcore wasn't a thing then of course, yeah, of course. So... but in the 90s it, was, it became turned into hardcore well that was because of Mr Kirk's nightmare that whole thing when I went up north <laughs> that's what happened it all changed so I just you know I don't think it was a conscious decision to switch jungle wasn't around then so it was just like a natural progression of the tunes and people like myself were always trying to jump on what the new thing was and you know as it progressed from acid house uh, from sort of you know that kind of thing like, you know Todd Terry sort of music and Dave Angel's productions and things like that and uh, you know, to tunes like Meltdown and Richie Rich and all that stuff. Then along comes, you know, a bit more sort of techno-y sounds and then along comes hardcore and then along comes, you know, and all these things just kept evolving. So I didn't look at it as I was jumping ship. Drum and bass wasn't around then. So it, 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 became, it became a thing. The moment I started to hear drum and bass, I went down to AWOL and at the time, uh, you know, had not heard this drum and bass that was being played at this club called Paradise Club. And I went down there and I just rave, you know, I'd be sitting on the speaker, speaker with Andy C and we'd be sort of sitting there swinging our legs listening to this music. I was just amazing. And, um, you know, watching Randall and Kenny and all them boys do their thing. And I just, that's, that is the only time I've consciously, I jumped ship then, not the only time, but I've jumped ship then because I was like, this music is, uh, the, the way the light rubs against the dark the way there's beauty, but it's mature and not Mickey Mouse voices and not speeded up vocals, which all felt right. very childish to me. They're great tunes, but it's not the most mature music in the world. Right. Let's face it, it's feel good, fun music, and that's great, but I wanted to go here, uh, to the dark place. <laughs> and I loved it, and I and also thought, production-wise, I was like, now that's interesting to me, because hardcore wasn't hard to make. Get a massive sample, few riffs, same old beats. Bob's your uncle. If you play the piano and I'm classically trained, you're laughing. Wasn't that hard. Drum and bass. Ooh. Totally different. So you like testing? You would like testing Oh, yourself. I love that it's such a head fuck. It still is. It's such a head fuck. Every day I'm learning something. It's never... I was in a studio till four in the morning last night. It's just, like, just learning new stuff. But it sounds like you find production quite joyful. And, 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 oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, but a lot, of, a lot of producers we've spoken to in the past... Or other, actually, well, it's other, like watching paint dry. Well, yeah. <laughs> so like Brian, actually, Brian G, he just never wanted to produce. And, and, and so he said, I just, it just looked boring and hard work and, and, and not my sort of thing. So I didn't. So I put out tunes on my record label. Why thank is God it? he did. We love him. Of course. But what, what was it about you that, make, that separated you from, say, a Brian G who just hated that stuff? Let's talk about why I wanted to do production, because I knew that I couldn't do that and be taken seriously with the guys if I was just resting on my DJ skills. 
right? So I knew full well that I would have to be as good as them, at least, at the very least, and make a bunch of hit records. And I knew it would have to be amazing DJ. And I just knew that's what it took because I was watching my peers. That's what it took for them. So yeah, when you look at Ronnie Size, when you look at all these guys and you look at everybody that's doing their thing, I knew I couldn't just DJ. If I wanted to be taken seriously as an artist and a producer, I would have to be producing. <laughs> and um, you made some great hardcore tunes, but I think Spiritual Aura would be the first major jungle tune that you created. Was that, uh, was, was that the sort of announcement that you were... Yeah. That you were there as a jungle producer. You were a top... Not swan song. What's the opposite of a swan song? Uh, when you're introed. I don't yeah. know. That, that was because of AWOL. I went to AWOL and I, I was watching everything that everyone was playing and absorbing it like a sponge. And I just thought um, that, God, you know, I really want one of my records up there. I really want to be playing up there. But I didn't think it was going to happen because, one, I was a hardcore DJ. So I had to... I knew I had a long way to go before I could do that. And... Um, you know, when I made that record, I thought, well, if I'm not going to be up there, the next best thing is to get a record where everybody starts with it. Right. So they have to start their sets with my tune. So I wanted to make a tune that wasn't easily... Great idea. Yeah. That's really smart. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I didn't want to make something that, you know, was easily mixable. You ha I wanted to make a tune <laughs> that commanded your attention from the get-go. And I thought everyone's just going to want to start with this because I want to start with it. And 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 I, you know, I know it sounds very devious and plotty, but that was my intention. Yeah, it's to, a great idea to make a tune that Smart. would command attention and be started from the beginning. But you could mix it. But really, if you mixed it, you're a bit of a dick because the beginning bit was the, the best. best yeah. bit. Although you could mix from the start of no, the tune. No, you can, but can. what I mean is why would you? Right. It, that, that bit was so recognisable that most people, even if you mix it for a second, they let that string happen. It's a wonderful, it's, it's a wonderful tune, and, and we've been asking for uh, listener questions, and Blackshaw asks, and I think I know the answer to this, uh, given your classical piano background, who played the intro of Spiritual Aura because it's the best piece of synth work in any uh, drum and bass or jungle tune ever? Thank you. I will take credit for that. Was it you? It was me. Of yeah. course it was. Actually, to be fair, poor Aston. When, uh, you know, Aston did the cool bits of the record, like the Get Raw sample, you know, the mixing and the mastering and putting in the right snares and things like that. But the bass line, the strings, the head, the tail, you know, I remember him not liking it very much. He was like, that bass line. He was wrong. Rubbish. Well, he sort of didn't really like the bass line. He thought it was too simple. Wish it was simple, but I was just like, dong, 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 they are done. <laughs> did you like, know when you'd made it, as soon as you'd made it, that it was going to be a big record? I was very high the night before. <laughs> I had come There's back. There's a theme here. I'd come back from <laughs> Elevate. I made my best records high the next day. I, I well, actually, that's not true because I think Roller Coaster and what I've just made is probably the best record I've made for a long time. Um, probably on a par with Spiritual Oil. And were you high sort of before thing. that as well? Huh? Were you high before Roller Coaster? No, as well? I don't. Do, no. I haven't done drugs for 15 right. years. Okay. Yeah. I don't do any of that anymore. I like to drink now and then, but I don't do music drunk and I don't, I'm completely clear no, and present. No. I think that's very, very important for me. But um, oh, I forgot what I was saying now, but yeah, but that record, I'd gone out, got partied, come back, and so I was still feeling the remnants of the buzz. And I remember feeling like God had literally had a conversation with me. I felt very close, that's why I called it Spiritual Aura. And is it the best song that you've ever released? Uh, I think it's the best drum and bass track, but there are other songs that I think are better, uh, but they're not necessarily in this genre. I mean, Learning Curve was, you know, a, a record that people are sort of trying to make that kind of thing, 
Now it's acceptable to mix, mix genres, but it was a complete synthesis of styles. So for me, Learning Curve was the best record I ever made. And the songs on there, because it was pop electronica. Well, that was a question from Kev Thomas Wilkinson. And uh, DJ Bagpuss asks, what's the tune that rap wishes that she'd made, but didn't? Oh, that's a great question. Mm. It's a shame that the, the best question has come from somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, so many. Um, I wish I had done, um, oh God, there's so many tunes, but music, Bookham's Atlantis, and you know, different tunes like that. I, I, there's, there's so many, right? I mean, God, I can't even think. God, name any tune that's huge and I, that I didn't make. I probably wish I made it, but um, you know what? All Crust. Of these one. Oh, Crust. Oh, he's I mean, Crust, technically fantastic, right? Crust has made some really interesting music that doesn't get enough uh, love, actually. And I, Maybe too good, like too technically. Warhead and tunes like that, you know, and but Crust has made some really good tunes that are just just really out there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I do wonder if some of some of Crust stuff is just a bit too 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 smart and actually too it's it's not that accessible for people who who don't understand. Yeah, he goes production. out there and I like I like that about him. It's it's out there and he takes chances and he's brave with his music. I just love people like that. My favorite producers, you know, I love Metric. Um, I, I love D LSB is my one of my favorite DJs. I just love him. Just such a phenomenal craftsman and his music is just beautiful. Um, you know, so so yeah. I mean, there, there's too many tunes to mention, but and, and after Intelligence, you signed for Sony, of course, a, a, a massive major, and you were criticised. While Groove Rider, who'd also signed to the same label, yeah, didn't get criticised. I think that. I think that you know, one, I got the major record deal part of it because Higher Ground was wasn't Sony, it was part of it, but it was an umbrella label under that. And then I'm the one that got all the attention, but I made a pop record. But you said you 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 felt burned out and it was incredibly draining and relentless. Was there any regrets now of signing for that or was it just no, a fantastic experience? Not at all. I don't regret that. Sony were good to me. When I say I had a tough time, it wasn't in the sense I had a tough time, it was horrible, oh God, I hate my life. It wasn't like that. But it was constant on the road, no respite. Um, and, you know, when you've got a, re a record label that's invested millions in you and you've got managers who manage the biggest artists in the world like Aerosmith, Carly Sam and Duran Duran and then you, uh, what I realised is that a lot of the time they just let the phone ring and take the money because you're making all this money from touring and then, you know, but you never get to go home. Now, I loved that. I didn't mind that. I was prepped for it. But I can see how a lot of DJs end up taking a lot of drugs and having an unhealthy mental state. I was born to tour because I'd been predisposed to it from my hotel life beforehand. So to me, it was a home away from home. I loved it. That's why I didn't have a boyfriend for so many years and I was just single all the time because I was just like happy doing my thing. Besides, no one would have got any attention from me. And you wrote Learning Curve in 97. Someone on YouTube said that you were better than Madonna at the time. I don't know if you've uh, ever read that comment, but that's Rolling quite... Stone said that. Oh, is that right? They said it was the record that Madonna wanted to make and gave me four and a half stars. Oh, fantastic. Well done. Have you, have you got that framed up anyway? I mean, you probably should. Oh, you I've definitely it, should. I've got it in a press book, but it's, it's like, there are pivotal moments in Captured here. Bad Girl, for obvious reasons. Um, selling gold records and writing for other people, which is what I do, and that cover. But I don't, I don't really think an artist should... That, what's that expression? That an artist... You can tell an artist from a manager because a manager has real art on the walls and an artist has pictures of themselves. Right, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. And uh, do you, how do you think those tunes stand up now, 23 years on? I think they're still amazing. In the sense that... 
you know, when you listen to the production of them, the vocal production's a bit like, eh, but the vibe, it's all about the vibe, you know? So yeah, I think the production was probably 10 years ahead of- In many ways, it sounded like you were an, an EDM star before EDM existed. Do you think in a way you were too early in, in what you were doing? Do you know what? If I had a penny for every time someone said that to me, <laughs> it's like, if I had made Learning Curve 10 years later, because the things that, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to be, I'm not trying to say, well, I was the first, I did it, but I was, and it was the first time people were fused, you know, I got so much hassle for making that record because it was like, what are you doing putting vocals on drum and bass or why are you mashing all It'll these stuff? It'll never work. It'll never work. <laughs> <laughs> It'll never catch on. Or why are you mashing up these styles? And, and uh, I guess the same reason a dog licks its balls because it can. <laughs> but I just felt that, that was what was exciting. And the producers that I were working with, Dom T and Aidan Love, you know, Dom T produced uh, Bjork's debut album. He was a phenomenal producer and Aidan Love was an amazing technical programmer. And so when we brought our ideas together and, you know, I brought my demos to them, they were able to work with the vision that I have. And, and we want, I remember saying, you know, if you look behind you, there's a DJ rap poster says, good to be alive. And the artwork came from a film called Vertigo, Hitchcock's Vertigo. And I wanted the album to sound like that, which is why the artwork is all very jagged and it's all based off that Vertigo film. Um, and, you know, it, I wanted it to have sharp, I didn't want it to be sexy grooves, I wanted it to be sharp beats, very mechanical, almost industrial, with these moments of beauty. So yeah, it was, it was mad. But I guess you could say, I mean, I think it was myself and especially when we did that, Calvin Klein billboard thing. It really felt like the first superstar DJs were myself, Fatboy Slim and, and sort of Moby and that was it. And it was like that, that we were the ones breaking America. That must have seemed, when you toured with a full band, it sounded like an amazing experience. Um, and I will tour with them again. If, if when? When the same done. band, we got in touch. Oh, really? Yeah, the same band. Uh, the Mark Roberts was the musical director of Learning Curve. He's got a 5,000 square foot rehearsal space. So we are going to do proper concerts, reimagined, oh, where we redo Learning Curve, redo all the new... I've got a new album that I'm working on, all these things, and bring them back to live in a live so you'll, way. And you'll go out and put it go on... I get will the, do streamed, show on the, streamed but, concert but, events but from will this you not, venue. Will you not, when COVID's done, will you go on the road? Will you do that? Properly? I would love to, but right now, right. my world is like, I want to create a space where we can do, you know, online ticketed events where, you know, I'm singing. I want a space where we can control the sound, the cameras. That's why I've got so many GoPros right. and stuff. So we, we, the old band, we were thinking of calling ourselves the uh, OAPs because we're so old, but we're all going to get back together because we're such great chemistry. And, you know, he's got a band called Blabbermouth. And so we're all going to get together and do these things. It's going to be Sounds great. Sounds great. I mean, it sounded an absolute world away from the 90s rave seen from from your previous years I mean you must have thought god what what, what is this oh no I loved it I felt that that was what I was meant to do I, ever since I was five I had a hairbrush singing thinking I was going to be you know sort of semi-famous in some way or another but did you find it hard to retain your roots to the 90s rave scene when you were this pop star who was on posters and billboards and all that sort of stuff not really not really I never thought I was a different person or thought I was still DJing the whole time. Even though I had my Sony career, don't forget, I also had an agent and I was still doing the DJing. So I wasn't, it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't that I stopped and I was DJing Tech House as well. So I was doing a Tech House career, a drum and bass career, and I was touring with the band. Probably why I was burnt out. Yeah, I'm not surprised. But you're not burned out now, and we're going to talk about that next. We're going to talk about what you've been up to most recently, a little bit about COVID very shortly here on Raw, the Night is Very podcast with me, Tom Latcham. Well, we hope you're enjoying this episode of Raw. There's plenty more where that came from. Uh, but now it's time to ask for your help. 
Raw is a hobby. It's not a very well-paid hobby. In fact, it's frankly a bit of a money pit. Uh, we've put lots and lots of our own cash into doing this, uh, but we could use your help to keep it going because we don't have endless pockets, sadly. Uh, any donation, big or small, that you can give, we appreciate. It is a tough time for anyone, but anything you can give will go towards keeping this project on the road. If you want to help out, you can head to gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast. That address again is gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast and get donating there. We appreciate anything you can give. Absolutely, we do. Uh, also, if you want to head over to our socials, why don't you add us on Facebook? Why don't you add us on Twitter? Why don't you add us on Instagram? And of course, we are on YouTube. You just have to search for Raw, the 90s rave podcast on all those different places. So we're here with Raw the Nineties Ray podcast with me, Tom Latch. I'm still with DJ Rap. We're going to wrap it up now, excuse the pun, <laughs> uh, and talk a little bit about what you're up to now and the situation with COVID. Get your view on on what it's going to do for for, for music and the rave scene and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's been a tough time for everybody, um, and you have it yourself in in your book uh, told about how you've tried to end your life on a couple of occasions. You've had battles with mental health problems. How are you now? <laughs> That's not a funny question. <laughs> Sorry, I just went so serious and I was like, well, I'm very much alive, so obviously well, I'm doing better. But you are alive, but that doesn't mean, you know, people, it's been I, a tough no, time. I, no. I myself have, have struggled through, it's through coronavirus. It's a great question, I'm just teasing you. But I'll tell you what changed. Um, oh, I, I found God, <laughs> I'm going to say that. Is that right? That helped me a lot. Okay. In what way? Do you, do you, do you church go I started or? to go to church. Um, I don't like organised religion, I'm going to say that. So I found God and then found him personally and decided that was the way to go. But I did spend a lot of time going to church. Uh, I cleaned up my act. I stopped doing drugs. I eat clean. I train all the time. I'm an avid trainer. I'm in the best shape of my life. I believe exercise, clean food... And, 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 and surrounding yourself with the right people is all you need to fix your problems. And, 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 and that is what happened. I found God. I found people that were prepared to help me. Um, people gave me loans, helped me out with food, money. I found better friends. I got rid of the crowd that were hanging on, leeching on me. I estranged myself from my family. And because anything that brought me negative vibes and didn't do well, I was just like, that's it. It's time. Dead wood, you're gone. So. And did that help you when COVID came about, when the lockdown and you, you yeah. know, you're not allowed to go well, out? I am, and... I am, I am very good at being in a room on my own because <laughs> I've spent my life doing that as a as a touring artist. Um, but I look at. Uh, are you asking me how COVID's affected me, or how my, uh, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, why not? Well, because the way I look at it, it's like I hate it just as much as anybody else, um, you know. But. I'm kind of the sort of person that's like, where's the opportunity? How can I turn this around? Because I, I tell you what, if I hadn't had come up with Patreon and done this, I think I, I, I would be in a very dark mental place. Really? Yeah, what, because what? where's my purpose every day? Suddenly my whole career, everything's gone. I need to have a purpose. Suddenly I, I moved over from England. Uh, sorry, I moved back here last year, 18th of October, with 12 months of gigs lined up. You know, I'd spent $30,000 in the move, a lot of my savings, you know, put everything into this, come over here and then boom, all my gigs gone. Everything that I moved here for. And I loved LA. I love living there. You know, it's lovely. And I, I moved here because I wanted to, my career was going the right way again, you know, after a lull of not going the right way. So, you know, I, I moved here because 
of this to make it work. And then COVID happens. So yeah, I lost everything, just like everybody else. But I didn't want to sit down. And I think I learned a very important lesson in acting uh, when I was when I was acting with Howard Fine in, in America was that best to put the attention on the other actor so that you don't get in your own head and worry about yourself. So I thought if I could come up with something where the attention goes on other people, making them happy, servicing them in some way, I wouldn't stop and think about how mental I could actually become if I was sitting here in, in four clo closed walls, not doing, I would just go nuts. So I started Patreon out of a need for community, out of a need to reach out, out of loneliness, out of all of those things. And I thought, surely other people are feeling that too, you know? And why, and then I suddenly thought, hold on a minute, I could actually be much more than just a DJ in Patreon. I could, I could play the piano and do concerts. I could spread my, I could flex my musical muscles and actually play every genre, I could play what the fuck I want. I could actually make music and let people watch. I could do that. And then the list just started to snowball. And I realized that actually being a DJ, it was quite limiting because you're going to a club, playing in front of people that expect sort of certain number of tunes. I can't play a liquid track that's got a, a 15 minute intro and, and I'm only on for an hour. But in Patreon, I could play a five-hour set if I want. So I, I suddenly realised that this was an opportunity for all these records that I'd catalogued that I could actually show people these wonderful records instead of them collecting dust. And, and so to me, it suddenly became a whole thing. And so I thought, well, I'll stream for the first 13 weeks, see how it goes, build up my platform, because what other time are you going to have such a captive audience? Mm. It's amazing. Mm. So it was actually wonderful promotion. And I think over a million people have listened to my sets wow. now. Um, and the YouTube videos are going through the roof, you know. And, and I was like, well, this is great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this into a business. And why not? Because am I supposed to live off nothing and air? You know, um, like I said before, and I got quite passionate about it. Don't hate me for my hustle because <laughs> no, no. it's like it's my job. But again, I, I think like no one judges a man for their hustle. Do you know what I mean? I think, again, if people are judging you for your hustle, again, that's probably sexism. Again, it comes back to it. I don't know. I think people think, well, you're driving around in a Porsche, you, you, music should be free, why are you charging to stream? And I just say, well, when you pay my bills, we can have that conversation. And uh, why not plug your Patreon? Because actually, you know, if people want to go and right, get yeah, involved. Sure. I mean, basically, the long and short of it, you go to djrap.com, click join the tribe. That's where it is. Patreon, there's it's £2.50, £8.50, and VIPs are 85 quid. And basically, I do all kinds of things. Check out the levels on there. But the things that you don't see is is the best part, like the, the us getting together, the amount of times I'm on the phone with fans, speaking to them. You know, if people have a problem, I'll call someone and we'll speak. And it's, this is all this, it's much more personal than what you can put on a website. But there's a lot there, just go check it out, yeah, you know. Definitely. I'm not gonna oversell it, it is brilliant. <laughs> so well, why not go and check it out? And uh, how do you think that raves and the rave music landscape will look post COVID? Well, this is a very frightening thing, isn't it? Because I, I don't know how long our beautiful promoters can hold out for. Mm. Um, and, the, and the venues. And the ven Well, you know, the people who own the venues. But, but, but the people who own bricks will be able to sell those bricks. Yeah, but it means the clubs won't. And they will be no, I know. Flats, what I'm saying right? is I worry about the promoters, not the people who have the property. Right. So my, my worry is, is, is everybody, is how long can we keep going on without this happening? How many wonderful promoters are going to just cave? And all the people that they employ and all that stuff... I think, you know, we find a way 
through this, but I think that we've got to find a way quicker and we've got to get more support for nightclubs. 66 billion in profit, all the jobs we bring, 6% mm. of the of you know of, of the industry is entertainment. I, I think that it really hurt me that the Chancellor Mm. says, well, I've done a package for arts, but not nightlife and nightclub. I mean, no, you haven't. And not all of us go to the theatre. So The Tories don't really like rave music, as we know, over the years. Well, <laughs> I'm going to stay away from politics. But what I will say is that, like, you know, come on now. You know, you can't expect people to adapt and train and start glass blowing and doing different things. I, this is something we've put our whole lives into. Not just me, the promoters, the people that work with the promoters. There's a whole industry that thrive and feed off this. You know, it's not just about the DJs, you know, it's not just about the DJs. So when people are like, well, yeah, music should be free. Or this, don't forget who we employ mm. and how that's a whole thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Astra Syru has asked a question. Um, she uh, asks, what would your number one piece of advice be to women, girls, uh, who are just starting to mix or make tunes? Uh, take my Ableton course, Learn Your Door, Digital Audio Workstation. Learn to produce. If you don't want to take my course, that's fine. There's a million good courses out there. But learn to produce because if you actually want to make noise, they cannot ignore you if you make wonderful music. Force them to play your sets, their sets with your records. That's a great bit of advice. So as we sort of come to the end and we look back, because this is the beauty, I think, of this podcast, is that actually we're getting artists to look back 30 years on. And if you'd asked them at the, at the time, their answers would be very, very different. You're viewing it through 30 years, 30 years on eyes. How do you view yourself in the scene's history, in that 90s rave scene history? In what way? How do I view myself in what way? Like, give me an example of what How do you view yourself? Like, like... What's, your, what's, your, what's your legacy? What's your, what was your input? How do you view yourself as an artist in that 90s rave scene? I think that I've had too many knocks to sit there and say how great, you know, I don't sit there and I think other people tell me stuff and it surprises me how much I mean to them. But I don't think we sit here and go, oh, mate, I must be a bit of a legend, <laughs> you know, and I've lost confidence so many times and clawed my way back that I definitely probably earn more on the side of I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not that, and I'm always striving for that. I'm okay with that because I think it makes me work harder. I, I don't think I've ever sat down and gone, what have you actually contributed? What does it mean? And da 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 um, I, I, I think that's okay for other people to tell me. So I don't know. Do I think that I'm a part of the fabric and what happened? And yeah, of course I do. I know I was there and I know I contributed a lot of big music. But I think the best is still to come. Oh. Honestly. Really? Yeah, I don't think I've even started. I'm telling you, roller coaster is a taste. Like I have now got my fucking production stride going watch out. And I'm doing something really good that gives back instead of being narcissistic and just enjoying the DJing. I'm providing a service now that I know it. I'm doing something that makes people feel good about themselves. And that is the thing I'm the most proud of, that I, I know I can do that. That's the best thing. So for me, the best is yet to come. Uh, you have suggested a few times that you weren't that popular sometimes uh, over the years. You seemed to care then. And if you're, re you know, read between the lines on the book, you did seem to care then. Do you care now? 
course I care. Everybody cares about what people say and think of them. I couldn't give a shit about people that say stupid things and don't know what they're talking about and keyboard worries and that stuff. And I don't read the posts, so that's how I avoid that. It's like you see famous people say, well, I don't read the papers. It's pretty easy not to get worried by that because you just ignore it, la, 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 la. However, I think you have a certain responsibility to stay positive and inspire people, and that's my job. I'm not gonna go on Twitter and rant about everything every five minutes, I, that's not my bag. Um, I much prefer to lift people and elevate them with music, and through that, that's the gift God has given me, and that's what I want to do, you know? Is there anything that you would change that you did in the 1990s? Oh my goodness, probably quite a lot. Um, <laughs> like what? Um, well, the, probably wouldn't have gone out with MCMC. No, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just playing Morris, it's a joke. Um, in all retrospect, I think the reason I didn't get the respect um, and there was a, a summer of the respect was because I broke ranks and did something different. Had I stuck here and done drum and bass, I'd probably be one of the biggest drum and bass DJs in the world. Um, however, do I regret that experience being on the road with a band and having that major label experience and singing and doing all the different things and the fact that it's kept me fed all this time? You bet I don't regret it. Well, we all make it. choices in our lives that put us in a direction and you can't really regret those because they were regrets. things that you did at I the just, time. I just think that I was, I don't have regrets. I'm just saying that, you know, I was quite fiery. I probably pissed a lot of people off with my big mouth. I just, you know, I just- I can't imagine I don't. That. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have regrets, I just, I just wish I'd had. She just stuck her finger up at me, by the way, if you're listening on audio. Yes, I Carry did. On. I don't have regrets. I just wish maybe that I was where I am now, and now I'm kinder. I'm, I have more empathy. I'm more compassionate. I think about the people. I just was. Is too... that an age thing? No, it's a thing where I have healed myself from all the abuse I've had, and I, I'm not angry anymore. Right. That's what it is. I'm and, not and angry. Did, did you feel a knot in your tummy for a long time, and do you now not feel that knot? I couldn't feel anything. I was too busy numbing myself with whatever I could. So yeah. I, th I think that now that I've dealt with my past, come to terms with it, um, I just want to be a nice person. I've still got the fire, but I think for a long time I thought if I stopped being angry, I might lose my fire. Right. So I thought maybe all my talent would go away. And the thing I've learned is that your talent never leaves, even if your fans leave you, even if people don't believe in you anymore. Your talent is there. And here's the one thing I do want to say to people who are watching or listening. Please use music as a resource, not to get somewhere, not to be famous, not to be rich, but if you always have music, it is the most wonderful companion. You can be alone and you just go to your computer and there it is for you. You can just be upset over a breakup, go to your computer, piano, whatever, there it is for you. Like music is not here to propel us into some sense of fame or whatever. It's really about elevating people through music. And I feel, thankfully, through COVID, that I have found my purpose in life, which is to elevate people through music. I thought it was about elevating myself, and I've learned that it isn't. And that's really how it is. I get quite emotional when I say that. That's worth a touch, that's wicked. Um, but that's what it is. Can I ask you, just looking back now, is there a single year in the 90s you could pick that was your favourite? What would it be and why? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, probably just when I started playing Astoria, Rain Dance. Uh, what year would that have been though? 92? Mm, 91 maybe? I don't know, I don't know. You, don't, you guys would have to let. Do you know what? I honestly don't know because all the years were good. Like 88 to 90, 
were, were all just raving, amazing, like, you know, and I kept raving all the way through, obviously. It was all good. I, I find it hard because I think of Paradise Club and I think of how amazing that was in those times. I think of the rain dance era and how amazing that all was. And I think of the, the, the before that, before I was DJing. So for me, it was all bloody good. You know what I mean? Then the Sony years was amazing. So I did have, I would say, at least a good 20 years of just absolute bliss, then mixed with like, 15 years of shit and hell after that all collapsed, you know, and then now it's good again. I know, yeah, it goes in waves. Um, finally, would you, do you ever, would you, could you ever retire? Do you ever see that happening? Uh, not with Patreon. Not now. Not now. I could be doing this till the day I grow old just for the same people and I'd be all right with that because there's so much that goes on in there. There's so much community. It's going to grow. We're going to have retreats, resorts, Trust me, I've got big wow. plans for this. Yeah, I've got big plans come? for this. You can. Thank you very much. Um, and so long as you join the VIP tier. I'm kidding. Well, I don't know I'm if I've got saying. the money. Uh, <laughs> and very, very finally, um, if you could in, uh, choose one artist from the 90s rave scene for us to uh, interview, um, who would it be? And if you, if we've, we've done a few, so I'll tell you if we've already done them. Oh, God. That's really hard. Because my favourite would be people that inspired me. So I would say Dave Angel. Okay. Someone shall we like make that. that happen? Shall we make that happen? Shall we interview we and Dave Angel together? Maybe. Yeah, right. that could be fun. Right, I'll well, reach out. See right, what well, let's see. Let's see. Let's see if let's we can. Let's see if we can make it happen. But he was very influential for me um, musically, and you know, I, lo I love techno as well, so I love all that. But yeah, because uh, the of more that moment, I, the more I've got into DJing recently, the more I've gone back to those tunes and some of the Dave Angel stuff is so good like it's so good to put was I meant set. to say a drum and bass artist no, or, okay. I was just saying you know because um but I will say drum and bass wise I, I think some of the biggest influences were Fabio because you know well he was our first interview so we can't oh, interview him twice so, I mean we can and we might but, yeah. uh, but anyway I'm just saying like he he really because you know and Jack Frost as well they really took me under their wing and sort of were like this is how you dress and this is the sort of Nigel's a legend and we haven't Ni interviewed him yeah, and, and Nigel we, is like you've got word feeler we will do we will be interviewing at some point absolutely guaranteed listen that's that's all we've got time for but it's been a, a joyous uh, couple of hours i've really enjoyed spending time with you thank you for thank doing you this for having really me. appreciate, I appreciate it, it. <laughs> um we are the 90s raid podcast uh, raw my name's tom latcham i hope you've enjoyed listening too if you want to get in touch with us hello at the 90s raid podcast.co.uk facebook twitter instagram youtube we're on all those get on there add us like us subscribe whatever you do on those channels uh, and if you want to give us a bit of cash keep this show on the road gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast. We've got loads more coming up, so just stay tuned to all of our channels because you're going to love it. I'll be putting some money in as well. Love and base. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it from another episode of Raw. We hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed making it. We're now an all-video platform, so if you're listening on audio, please do check out our YouTube page for this episode filmed, plus loads more besides. And you can also find us on Facebook, Insta and Twitter. Just search for Raw, the 90s rave podcast. Plus, if you can spare just a few quid to help us continue making more great 90s rave content and hopefully keeping a smile on your face at a difficult time, you can do so at gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast. All donations will be plowed back into the podcast, including expenses to get around the country, interviewing some of your rave favourites and also improving our equipment. On that note, thanks to all of our generous donors and those who've supported us lately, especially to Dominic S, Jay Mallon, Tristram Bentley, Will P, Malcolm Payne, Noisy B, Ollie Thumper, Russ Bester, Margaret Caron, 
and DJ Jedi plus Jamie Section 23. Uh, and if you want to donate to help keep this project going and try to get yourself a shout out on a future podcast, that URL again is gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast. We'll see you next time.